Welcome to Five Pints In, the show where we're literally five pints in. Cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 So, today's guest uh, we've got on, a very close friend of Ian's here. He played for Nunny in Northampton. Not that close. Not that close. <laughs> Man City, uh, of course, West Ham uh, and Reading, amongst some other clubs here. Um, we're going to have some great stories for you. He's calling in all the way from Norway. We've got Trevor Morley. How you doing, Trev? Yeah, I'm doing fine, thank you. Um, do you want me to speak in English or Norwegian? Uh, either way. It sounds the same coming from you anyway. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do a second episode in Norwegian. I can stock a little North Swiss as well. <laughs> so Trevor's already only, five, only five points, points in. in yeah. Only five yeah, so Trev, that, so that answers my question then. We, we have to ask everyone on here, are you five points in? And if so, what are you drinking? Well, yeah, you know what? I was hoping you wasn't going to ask me that question because I did have a, I had a beer and I only had two beers and you said five pints in. So I'm actually drinking rosé wine, which is a bit gay. So, um, <laughs> oh, you've yeah, got we'll, it we'll already, get to that. We'll you? get to that. <laughs> well, actually, I wanted to start the show by just saying that, you know, that um, when you put Ian Bishop and Trevor Molly together, a lot of people think we were lovers. And, uh, Don't put us uh, together, be, oh, you can't say put us together. Well, that's what they did. And um, I would like to say you've got two beautiful boys there and I'm sure they would love to know the truth. I mean, maybe they think it's I think it's fun to have a gay father or it's cool. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but what I will say is that, you know, the songs they used to sing, Who's Up Molly's Arse, Who's Up Molly's Arse, Ian Ian Bishop is. I was very <laughs> offended. I was offended by that because that made me be the woman. And I could never understand why it wasn't who's up Bishop's arse because he, he had long hair, beautiful long girly hair all the way down his back. So, um, but the point is, I'm not going to actually reveal the truth about whether we were lovers or not. I'm going to leave that to the end of the show. So hopefully people <laughs> keep listening and find out the truth at the end. Well, you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to do like they do on the telly where they save the best bit, you know? Like, I'm trying like, my best, you, mate. As if you're going to be boring for the other couple of hours. Yeah, like a cliffhanger. Like, yeah. yeah, like a cliffhanger, yeah. <laughs> yeah Alfred, it's a bit of Alfred, uh, Alfred uh, Hitch, Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock. So, so you you have a problem with uh with so Ian being the man is is that why you grew that mustache and you tried to look as as manly as possible so the roles would reverse. <laughs> Jordy, I'm not being yeah, funny. That would have tickled my back, no end. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think one of the biggest regrets of my career is that moustache. Yeah. I have to say, never I did have a perm as well for a while at Northampton, which is... Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. Keegan, but, well, you, but, you're, all, you, you're talking village people now, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's jump into the the actual episode then, and make sure you wait to the end to find out about that cliffhanger about Ian and, and Trev here. But um, first things first, Trev, let's uh, <laughs> let's get the boring stuff out of the way, right? So, <laughs> so, so you like boring stuff? Who <laughs> 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 was doing the boring? God, sorry. <laughs> So, Trev, how's how's everything been over there in Norway? How's it been uh, with the quarantine? How's how's life going? What have you been up to? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same as everywhere. I mean, this is a, it's an amazing country and it's probably the richest country in the world per person. And I think, that, you know, under 200 deaths, so if you compare that to America or England, on the percentage-wise, they've done really well. But, uh, yeah, it's a bit boring. It's a lot of staying indoors and uh, keeping away from people and hygiene, washing my hands. I, I, I haven't washed my hands for 30 years, to be fair. And I've not washed <laughs> it's a good you job. See the steak. Good you job you're reminded. The steak. Boys, you must have remembered the state of his sausage fingers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never get that. When He's I come to Florida... Richmond sausage fingers, when I come to Florida, you go to the toilet. There's always signs saying that employees have to wash their hands. I, I, I don't get that. It's like, uh, are we? Why in restaurants? If we're not employed. We don't wash your hands off. I don't get that. But that's like, that's Florida. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, we have to be reminded, you know. But it's a good thing the government are reminding everyone now, so uh, so we can all wash our hands. And how 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 strict is the lockdown over there? Because I heard in I don't know if it's similar to Sweden. I don't, I don't even know if this is true. But like apparently Sweden didn't lock down at all. Is Norway uh, similar or like? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, no, no. I mean, similar to Sweden because it's Scandinavia. But that's uh, you Americans don't know what uh, what Europe is, do you anymore? <laughs> easy, easy. I don't think easy. anyone knows what Europe is anymore. England's trying yeah. to leave, you know. No, but um, coming back, Sweden stayed open and they're, they're, they're suffering for that now. A lot of people getting the coronavirus, so they, they try to do it a different way, but you don't know. I mean, maybe there won't be a second wave, so we can't say that they're done wrong at the moment, but the numbers are not good. But uh, Norway lockdown's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but there's still, there's still, you can still go to the cafe. Or if, if they're serving food, you can go in there. So I was out last night in uh, my favourite little place, cafe place, and... Had a few beers and yeah, because they're serving food, they're allowed to go in there. Um, I didn't actually eat, so I cheated really. I just went there for the beer. But <laughs> do, you, do you think the um, do you think the you know the, the small number of deaths in Norway is down to everybody injecting themselves with disinfectants? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we're starting that here, aren't we? So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Any. Anyway, we'll we'll was get. That a real question. <laughs> no. <clears throat> that was a terrible, terrible joke he was saving this whole time. That well, wasn't the best joke. Cut, cut that one out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. We've got to. We've got to show the true Ian Bishop, and that was that was what he's like most of the time. You know, just crickets wow. after he makes a joke. So. They, um, they, they have a pop at me for dad jokes, Trev. Don't yeah, worry we were actually listening to the last episode we did. We were quite harsh on you, Dad. Um, near the end so we'll try and lighten up on you we'll wait till the end again yeah we'll wait till the end again so trev we'll team up on him because i was i was concerned how drunk i might have sounded yeah after after four hours of drinking with dicky (laughs) yeah so um hey boys you've got you've got a great dad by the way let me know that he he loves you so much and uh he's so proud of you guys and you couldn't get a better dad than him i tell you yeah yeah definitely i mean that's why we give him shit you know Unless I'd been, if you've had been your dad, of course, but only, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I thought we you, I thought you were. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't, you, aren't you dad number two? That's how we've known you. Because you didn't stay with us for a bit before <laughs> you were born. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so let's jump into the football, shall we? Um, 
I, I know we've got we've got a lot to get to, but Trev, you've you've had a you've had a you had a, a great career. You know, I've got your teams listed out here. You're at Nuneaton, Northampton, uh, obviously City and West Ham, uh, and then Reading. Um, so, I mean, let's kick off with with getting into football. Like, what what was the real the real driving uh, factor behind you wanting to be a footballer as a kid? Well, obviously, I was born into it. My, my dad had been a football player for Nottingham Forest, and but he'd finished playing when I was born, so I never seen him play. But um, all I remember doing is kicking a ball in my backyard. We, we I had quite a ball bringing and a uh, little back garden. All the people spend hours kicking a ball against the wall. And when I got a bit older, it was down the park playing football. That's all I ever did was play football. And I remember going at four years old, my dad taking me to watch Nottingham Forest, sat on his knee because he had some season tickets and uh, we always had to leave 20 minutes before the end because we had a shop that sold newspapers and uh, I could never, I remember we were beating Burnley 2-0, got back it was 2-2, I could never understand how, how, how the scores changed so it was sort of, uh, football was my life, that's all I wanted to do, all I ever wanted to, you know, I was quite intelligent, uh, your dad won't like this but I went to high school. <laughs> I passed my 11 plus and uh, the, what was quite ironic was um, was actually playing for Nottingham Boys and we got the we got the letter saying after 11 plus and they all opened it they all going to Blaisdell uh, I opened mine and mine was different it was you going to high pavement grammar school and um, I was like disappointed but when I went home my mum and dad were like really proud but I don't think it was when I went to the school they didn't play football it was all they girls. played rugby. They played. <laughs> it was, actually, it was all boys' school. It was all boys' school. <laughs> That's where it started. That's where it came from. See, but we we played rugby and hockey and cricket. So, and I remember um, being about twelve years old and going knocking on the door uh, to where all the teachers were to talk to the head sportsmaster and said, "I've been selected to play Nottingham boys." And he said to me, "No, you can't play." I went, and I was real shy. It was shy as a kid. I was like. Okay, and walked away. And I said to my dad, they won't let me play because they don't play football here. So it was a bit ironic that I went to a school that uh, played football, but uh, played rugby, not football. But um, it didn't deter me. I mean, we played football at, at uh, in the dinner breaks and, and everything. So it was just my dream. I remember when the people come in and ask you what you wanted to be, and I said, I want to be a footballer. And they were like, come on, be serious. I went, okay, I want to be an accountant. Or I really want to be a footballer. I always remember putting question mark footballer at the bottom so uh, but you missed two clubs out I mean my first club was Derby County uh, I was at 16 as apprentice and I never played and then uh, got released at 18 and went to Corby Town that's why I and, missed that one out Trev <laughs> no uh, yeah I did and, uh, I did uh, I went, when I was God, every time I speak is there going to be a silence what do you <laughs> no I <laughs> mean no, I laughed at that. I think it's funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, Derby, they, they released you, didn't they? So that was another sort of, um, you know, something going against you that, that probably, you know, set, set a fire, not, not, to, not to take Ian's job, but set a fire under your ass, um, you know. And uh, so, so did, that just, did that just fuel you even more then? Just the sort of, you know, somewhat rejection from Derby? Actually, it didn't, no. Um, I, if I'll be honest, I didn't think I was good enough. I was very small as a kid. I was a late developer, and I just didn't think I was good enough. And, um, you know, I spent three months there doing nothing. I was on the dole, you know, and um, um, me and my best friend, Tony Barratcliffe, who played for Leeds, he got released from Leeds at the same time, and we started selling bags of potatoes. And then um, 
after about three months, his dad, who was actually a part-time scout for Manchester United, um, said, I've got your move to Corby Town. And it was a £120 sign-on fee and uh, £40 a week. So, I mean, it was a sixth division. And uh, But the good thing that came out of it was, I mean, we played in front of 300 people. And uh, when we got there, they said, we need someone to play centre-forward. And I said, I can't play centre-forward. And um, I, was, I don't know if Bish knows this, I was always a central midfield player. No, and I was I used to that. No, and um, that's why I never made it as a central uh, midfield. But I said to Corby, no, I can't play up front. And Tony had to go and he was useless. So after about two or three games, I said, Trevor, you're playing centre forward. And reluctantly, reluctantly, reluctantly. This is a grammar <laughs> school. <laughs> <laughs> I played centre forward. And I looked, no, 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 no. I'll, say the word again. Say the word again. <laughs> reluctantly. I, um, that's, as good. that's as good, yeah, go on. That wasn't so bad, that's fine. Um, no, it was good. I, so that's how I got to be sent forward, and, and that, my career took off from that moment because I had about five months at Corby Town and sent forward and then got, say, a move to Nuneaton, which was in the you know, the better non-league, the 50s, as such. So, um, and that's why I've always, maybe, I've always admired central midfield players. I think that's the most difficult, I always think it's the most difficult position to play. I think defending and attacking is... OK, you've got the pressure of scoring goals, but being a central midfield player, by, for me, is by far the toughest uh, place on the pitch. And that's one of the reasons that I fell in love with your dad when I watched him play central <laughs> midfield. It's the origin story. Yeah. So what oh, was your... What... I've won the, I've won, my, my best moment at uh, Corby Town was, it's quite interesting, we, um, we got to the fourth round... Uh, qualifying of the FA Cup, which was massive for Corby. It's what, it was the biggest biggest game in the history for, and it meant that if they won that game, we were in the first round of the FA Cup where you could get a big side, you know, from yeah. uh, second third division. And um, we were playing Bedworth, and now Corby Town was full of Scotsmen because it's a uh, shipping where they made the ships. So they were all from Glasgow, and I couldn't understand. Couldn't understand what they were saying. So on the Thursday training, they said, OK, to me and Tony, you go straight to the game because Bed- it's, no, it's an hour to drive to Corby from Nottingham. You drive straight there, it's nearer. Yeah. So, OK, so we got in the car, Tony's dad, we borrowed his Ford Escort, and we're driving down, turned off at Leicester, and I stopped in the lay-by and asked one of these lorry guys, said, can you tell me we're Bedford is? <laughs> and he said, Bedford? I went, yeah, Bedford. He went, that's another hour and a half down the motorway. So like two idiots, we panicked, went back onto the M1 motorway and went all the way. Now it's late, we're panicking. It's like uh, we arrived at the ground at 10 to 3. It's a 3 o'clock kickoff. And we drive in, the guy, in the, we said, we're the late players, late players. And he let us go in. We drove in. As we drove in, we see the two teams coming on the pitch. And it wasn't Corby. We'd gone to the wrong <laughs> Now, now this won't be so bad, but this is so long ago. This is when you had twelve players. You had eleven players on one sub. Yeah. So we panicked like hell. They rang up to the ground at Bedworth to to um, say that we'd turned up at the wrong place, and we got no chance of getting there. No chance. So we drove down the motorway. I remember we got back there, and we got there about twenty past five. The game was finished, and the crowd was coming away. And we wound the window down and we asked one of the supporters, what was the score, mate? He went, oh, he said, uh, Bedworth beat Corby 1-0 last 10 minutes. Oh, oh. And he said, 
They turned up with 10 men. Oh, no. <laughs> you were like, I know, we're 11 and 12. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to go in the dressing room and they, they absolutely crucified. I, I, you know, I was 18 and it's funny, a couple of people told me that story. I never admitted it was me, so... Um... <laughs> Trev, I did see something that recently that the best contract you had, I think it was from your West Ham time, was 150 grand. Do you ever have any regrets going into football and not going with Mr. Potato Head? <laughs> Um, Yeah, I do have regrets because, you know, when I went back, um, it's quite ironic, I'll just go on that, that Mr. Potato with my friend Tony Barrycliffe who got released from Leeds, when we start selling bags of potatoes, we literally walk around Nottingham, banging on doors, selling big bags of potatoes. Now, we made a bit of money from it, not a lot. We we, we used a sign-on fee from Corby to buy a transit van. And um, but we did okay. We got by, had a bit of fun, salt and potatoes, red potatoes, whatever. But I got back into football, so I went away from that as I got back into football. And um, he carried on. And uh, Mr. Potato Tony, I think it was about 13 years later, he sold the company for 7.7 million pounds. Jesus. Of which I got nothing. And um, if, if you drive back to Nottingham now, you'll see big lorries with. Barrycliffe on the on the side. It, it pissed me off big time, to be honest. <laughs> how how long ago? He, 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 sorry, how long ago? The, how long ago did you say he sold the company? Like, where were you in your career when he sold the company? Well, I, I think he, I would have been at West Ham when he sold it. Yeah. Um, just to, towards the end of my career at West Ham when he sold it, and um, yeah, he bought it back, and uh, he bought it back because for about two hundred thousand pounds and sold it again for three million. So he did it twice, but. You know what? He, he bought lots. He, he, when he was eighteen, he went and bought a house for two hundred thousand, uh, twenty thousand pounds, which doesn't sound a lot now, but it was a lot then. Yeah. And how he did it, I don't know. He went. He went to the bank. I remember he put his velvet jacket on his tie. He went to see the bank manager. And he came out and he said to me, "I've got the loan." I went, "Have you got the loan? We haven't, we haven't even got a job." And he bought this. And he bought. He ends up with about fifty properties. So he's super rich. Am I pissed? Uh, yes, I am. I wish I'd not play football. <laughs> I wish I'd sold potatoes and I'd be driving around in a Rolls Royce now. So. And, and you, wouldn't so, be, you wouldn't be known as Ian's better half. He wouldn't, know. So obviously, <laughs> obviously you wasn't the brains of the outfit. <laughs> yeah, he was the I one was that held the bag of potatoes. <laughs> to be fair, I mean, this is... Your dad and I... I, I called him Cheesy, and that was uh, Jimmy. Jim, I remember Jimmy, Jimmy Quinn came up with this name, Cheesy Bishop. Um, and he stuck, and Jim, Jimmy Quinn, I played for the board. He actually managed me at Reading later, but... Um, what do you mean it's, gave me the... it's stuck? What do you mean it's stuck? <laughs> what, what's the well, story? I got the name Rusty Nuts. Your dad was <laughs> called me Rusty Nuts. No, which no. Is... it wasn't visual. Okay, yeah, Rusty Nuts, it wasn't visual. Yeah. It wasn't visual. It, 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 it was opposite to Golden Balls. Yeah, I get that check. Probably that was the first of my Rusty Nuts story where I could have sold potatoes. And that's sort of the story of my life. You know, everything's gone wrong for me, but... <laughs> it is the opposite to Golden Balls, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the opposite. Rusty Nuts, that's funny. Where did the where did the nickname Cheese, Cheesy come from then? <laughs> what is that? What, what's the story behind that? Well, I remember, I think, it, I remember sitting in the Swallow Hotel where we stayed with Jimmy Quinn. And um, I'm, I'm, as I remember, and I remember badly, he came up with, a, he said he started calling him Cheesy. And I was, why do you call him Cheese? He went, Cheesy Bishop. And anyone that, I, I mean, you're not chess players. I'm obviously, I've gone back to my being a bit more intelligent 
I'm a good chess player. And the bishop is is uh, oh yeah, is, is a, is, is, <laughs> and it looks it looks like something else. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and stuck, cheesy, and it's stuck, yeah. as all good chess players yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, you know, you boys know what a cheesy bishop is. You've not had a shower for a few days, and you know. <laughs> I think I think the bishop piece would be wearing <laughs> a winter coat of anything. Was you lost in the mountains, Trev, when you didn't have a shower for a few days? Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell! <laughs> anyway, anyway, boys, I'm sorry about that. But, yeah, but that's your name also. <laughs> Gladly, it's never caught on. Fuck! <laughs> thankfully, thankfully. Yeah. So, Trev, let's uh. Let's jump into uh, into your career. Have you got Have you got any more memories you wanna you wanna talk about um, from Nuneaton or Northampton? Is there anything that springs to mind when those two clubs? Because you were there for what three years each of them. Yeah, that, um, Corby, I was only there for like just under a season, but Nuneaton, I was there for four years. So yeah. I, I got to admit, I, I thought I was stuck because um, I, I saw myself as a footballer. I thought I, people ask me, "What do you do?" I'm a footballer. I'm a semi-professional footballer. And yeah, I was, the years were going by. So I was there till I was 22, nearly 23. So I never saw my next move going on. But my best memory of Moneaton is uh, meeting George Best. And um, the story behind that was we had an Irish chairman and uh, a little guy, always smart in a suit, had an old Rolls Royce, drinking brandy, the big cigar, great character. So George Best had just stopped finished playing, playing for Manchester United. But he'd do the odd games. And he used to get, I think he used to get about £2,000, which was a lot of money then, to come and do a game. So it's Monday night at Nuneaton and George Best playing. And we're playing Coventry then in a first division team. And uh, I always remember this. It's 10 to 7. It's a 7 o'clock kickoff, 7 o'clock kickoff, and George has not turned up. Now everyone knows he's got a drinking problem, whatever. Yeah. Now there's 7,000 7, people in Nuneaton. They're on the roof. He only owns 2,000 people. They're packed everywhere. And the chairman, he's got his brandy, his cigars going. I felt sorry for him. He's panicking. When suddenly this um, Jaguar turned in, come in the car park, and we're all looking out the window, and there, the present Miss World, the next Bond girl, Mary Stabbing. <laughs> Mary Stabbing. We said we wouldn't talk about the stabbing. <laughs> Mary Stabbing's got out the car in a fur coat. And it was just, it was, one of, it was so surreal. And then George got out in his jeans, his white T-shirt, and he was so good-looking, bitch. I've got to say, he's, own, he's the only guy, footballer, that I've known better-looking than you <laughs> at that time. And, uh, and he, he scored. He was brilliant. What a character. Why so he played matter. in his jeans? <laughs> <laughs> was he, so, but, uh, so you got to, yeah. you got to meet him then? You got to, did you play, you played with him in that game, or? Yeah, I only played 10 minutes because I was actually suspended and I made a fuss that I wanted to play with him. He, he yeah. went to the wrong ground. He was in Bedford, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I played under a different name and then uh, ran off the pitch after 10 minutes, as daft as that sounds. But, um, <laughs> what, rusty nuts? <laughs> but, but we went for a meal after and uh, I swear that Mary Stabbings was giving me the eye all night. I'm not sure. But... <laughs> was he, so... he was still in your kit? <laughs> so, so we. But, but, but so, my non-eating, my non-eating career. Only the thing was really non-eating. Non-eating. 
I yeah. didn't really score many goals. I was like, I was just hard-working centre-forward, let everyone else score the goals. But um, but I did get into the um, to the England. T- we did that, but Mohamed Ali came once as well. The chairman got Mohamed Ali to come. Jesus. I don't know. He's got, and he was driving around the ground in an old open-top Rolls-Royce before yeah. the game. And we just spent our time trying to ping the ball onto his head. <laughs> and the court- <laughs> He was punching it. <laughs> None of us hit him. We we're non-league. We were shit, so we couldn't even hit him. But um, I was well, how, big, to meet how, him. Big, how big was his head? <laughs> what was he? Was he the only boxer that was better looking than me as well? Yeah, he was a good-looking guy, to be fair. But he, he was—he'd he start with that. Um, yeah, he wasn't. He couldn't speak that well, but he was a super guy. He loved the kids and that. So um, yeah, you'd have, had, you'd have had a good conversation then. Yeah. So actually, not eating. I didn't do that much. But I met George Best and I met Mohamed Ali. But I did get into the England non-league team, which uh, your dad loves this one because I got I got about six or seven caps playing for England. I got the England caps. I've still got the England caps. What well, I don't think maybe you've got one, Bish. Have you? You got one. Yeah, yeah, got yeah, one, yeah. yeah. that was England B, though, Turf. It wasn't non-league. Yeah, Switzerland. Yeah. yeah. A B. A B C. Who's counting? <laughs> those are let. Those are letters. I think Who is counting? That that schooling did you well, eh? So what was what was that like then? Playing playing England England non league. Ask him what the national anthem was. (laughs) (laughs) He's been waiting for this one. Go on, sing it, Trev. God save (laughs) our gracious Queen. You 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 tell me what is it? My old man's the dustman. He wears the dustman's hat. He wears gold blimey trousers, and he lives in a council flat. <laughs> one of, one of the problems with this was that one of the fishes of the best mates, uh, Mark Newson. Uh, I played with him, Newson. He was a super guy, and he also played England on the non-league team, and uh, he wanted to play. Uh, Trevor, 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 I think Newson's their godfather. Yeah, or mine, or Connor's. One of us. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Well, it would have been a bit suspicious if you were, you know. We had to. (laughs) Uh, Good way out, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to to leave you something in the world with boys anyway, okay? Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) 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 And we'll sell them for seven million (laughs) pounds. Be rolling in your grave. So anything? But, Sorry, but what came out of non-eating was, and then this is another lucky thing. My first lucky break was betting, getting a Kobe Town playing centre forward. My second lucky break was Graham Carr was the manager of non-eating that, that took me there, and um, he got the job at Northampton Town, who finished second from the bottom, but they were obviously in the third division in the league. And uh, as soon as he took the job, he, he signed me. So. And I was I was nearly 23 years old, so that was my second break because I think I could have been stuck in non-league forever. So it's only the fact the manager done it and went to Northampton and he yeah. took me there, uh, and he actually made me captain, which I was pr- quite proud of. So um, that was that was a bit of a break. I had two breaks in my career. So any any specific memories from Northampton? It's funny that you got to to meet all these all these big celebrities at non-eating, isn't it? It's just that was just down to the chairman being being lavish and flashy and stuff like. Yeah, it must have been. I mean, he, he was, like I say, you can imagine the character. He always had the pinstripe suit on and the Rolls Royce. I'm, I'm, picturing the, I'm picturing the Monopoly man for some reason. <laughs> the, the, the monocle. Yeah, the, cane, yeah. the monocle. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah, so for me, that was my dream then to, to go and play. And again, I thought now now I've made it. I'm, I'm in I'm in the league. I never thought about getting to the Premier League. I just thought now I've made it. I'm in the Football League. I'm captain of Northampton Town. And uh, to be fair, Graham Coy, he took about six, seven non-league players in, and uh, in the second season, we won the third division and yeah. uh, and uh, got promotion. So they were they were fantastic times to be fair, Northampton, because you know you're talking about a team that had a thousand people watching them. They had three stands, and then you know we had like eleven thousand at some games, seven thousand. It was crazy. So they, they were amazing times. Uh, I'll, um, Never forget them. Some of the best football memories of my life, to be honest. Was that when you became the goal scorer, Trev? Yeah, didn't you bank some yeah, goals it, in from Northampton? You in, uh, it was quite. Fu- it was quite yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't Graham Carr's assistant, and he said to me, Trev. He said, he said to me, you don't score enough goals. Said, what do you mean? He said, you don't score enough goals. All the other guys get the headlines. I said, what should I do? He went get in the box. Because I was always the one that went out for the throw-ins, all the build-up. I did all the donkey work. I thought about it a bit and I thought he's right and that, 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 that little bit of advice there just get yourself in the box be a bit more selfish and that's when I started to score the goals to be fair and um, and uh, the season Richard Hill went to Watford for £250,000 when Elton John was there and uh, a few months later Watford tried to sign me which is another is a rusty nuts another rusty nuts story so <laughs> they they agreed to sign me. I agreed to done the deal, and they were paying quite big, actually very big wages. What for the time? Yeah. And um, they were playing in the FA Cup on Saturday, so Northampton said asked um, if I could play one more game for Northampton because I was cup tied. I'd already played because being in the lower leagues, you play the cup FA Cup earlier. Yeah, yeah. So I was cup tied. So what for said. Okay, you can play one next and, and, and come and sign next week. So all the deal was done. And Watford, I can't remember who they played, but it was just, I think it was a non-league team or a third division team. And they drew 1-1 at home. So on the Monday morning, I've got my suit on, I'm all ready to go. Graham Carr's going to pick me up, we're going to drive up drive, drive to Watford and sign the contract. And the phone went, and it was Harry Bassett, the manager of Watford. He went, Trevor, where are you? He went, Harry Bassett. Well, all right. I'm on my way now. He went, uh, uh, don't bother, son. I've just been sacked. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Another potato <So>, reference. <laughs> so I rang Graham Carr straight away. He went, the deal's off. The deal's off. I thought, oh, so here we go again. Rusty nuts. Um, <laughs> but lucky for me, I think it was three weeks later, Manchester City came in for me. I got a call. Um, they said to me, um, we have to drive up to Manchester now. I remember they said to me, do not tell anybody because I wasn't a superstar, but there was a few, little bit of interest in me. Get yourself up here as quick as you can. Don't tell anybody you're coming. So I drove up from Northampton to Manchester, two and a half hours, and um, I'm in did the you, office. Did you find it? <laughs> they printed yeah. directions for him. Yeah. <laughs> I found it okay, and I'm in there. And after about five minutes, the phone's going, and it's the press. And Jimmy Frizzle's gone, you've told him, haven't you? I said, told who? He went, there's press outside, the... the, the Trevor Moore is here. Is he signing for Manchester City? I went, I've told nobody. And we looked out the window and I drove up in my sponsored car. And on the side of it, on the side of the car, it said Trevor Morley, Captain Northampton Town. And I parked it right outside Main Road. So It's, it's Robin Reliant. Yeah. I think I was going to call the transfer off because I was a bit stupid. But anyway. 
but then obviously you know it worked out i mean you you had a lot you've obviously got a lot of great memories from city um we've got a few games we want to pinpoint here um first of all the the bournemouth game um i think uh you know what? What was your what was your memory of that of that Bournemouth game? I mean, Ian, you you were talking to me about this before. Well, I mean, it was because we we, we obviously Man City was a massive club and everything was about getting back into the top division. Yeah, and we had a good season and we just had to beat Bournemouth at home. And I remember it was a sunny day. I think it was about thirty five thousand there, and it was like party atmosphere and uh, we, we. I mean, Harry Redknapp, of course, and it's the first time I met your dad, Ian Bishop. And uh, what's his name? Who's in the midfield player, Bish? Um, Sean Brooks. Sean Brooks. Matty Holmes played, Luke Blissett. But I remember, I remember, so we're 3 0. I've scored a great goal. Did Mo- I think Noose played, didn't he? Yeah, Noose was there, yeah. Noose I think I nudged, I nudged him for one of the goals, and I scored a good goal. So we're 3 0 at half time, and it's party. It's like we're back in the top division. Eddie Large, you won't remember Eddie Large, but he was one of the top comedians at the time. He's in the dressing room half time telling jokes, you know? <laughs> looking, back, looking back wasn't the best thing because yeah. I remember the game and I remember we were a bit lucky to be, well, we were very lucky to be three up. In fact, we could have been, it was more likely to have been three down. And second half, we were, they just ripped us to pieces and uh, we hung on, hung on, 3 1, halfway through, 3 2. Towards the end, and then uh, last minute, oh no, about seven minutes into injury time, Andy Inchcliffe took a penalty away, three three, and uh, suddenly it was like chaos at Main Road. The fans were so disgruntled. Or, but I remember your dad was brilliant that day. They, in fact, the whole Bournemouth team outplayed us and uh, taught us a lesson, really. So whether we were nonchalant, I don't know. But the scenario was that uh, we had to get a point the next week away at, at Bradford. Bradford and, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember coming for me during the game? Do you remember smashing me during the game? Yeah, I was always a bit. I I I, um, I liked a little bit of a fight and a scrap, and I always thought it was a bit of a hard play. And I, I remember I grabbed your dad and went in for a little tackle, and he grabbed me around the throat. And, and uh, it was love at first sight. This was during the game. Yeah, oh, during the game. We had the, we had the, yeah. yeah, during the game, we had a little because I mean. I, it's the first time I'd seen you, Dan, and, and I couldn't take my eyes off him because he was such—he was—he was such a good player. And this is this is part of me being a failure as a midfield player. When I see someone like that running round with all the skills, the passes, the tricks, it, it was like—I was like a little bit in awe of him. So I thought I'm going to have to kick him or something, and I tried to kick him. And, and we had a little. Little meeting face to face. I think I think Bish, you grabbed. Did you grab my throat or something? I grabbed your throat, yeah, and I went. You got to get rid of that moustache. <laughs> <laughs> Before I introduce you to my mum and dad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. I grabbed him by the throat. He just laughed in my face. To be honest with you, I yeah. must admit, he did laugh at me. Well, uh, it was one of them things, you know. I would sort of seen him coming. I mean, he was. I mean, later on in his career, we did give him the nickname Nudge at West Ham because yeah. he was one of the strongest players that you would come up against. You know, I think if you look back and you see some of the videos, you see, I think one of the most recent ones I've seen was him getting a penalty at Tottenham in a 4-1 win thread, you know, with West Ham. Yeah. When you'd seen, I don't know, it was Gary Mabbitt or somebody coming, coming at you. And he yeah. just held your body in the way and took the smash and then won us the penalty in the end. But, but more often than not, it was you holding them off. And... There was a video out there 
recently about your goals at West Ham and a lot of them were you being strong as that centre forward, you know. But um, you know, going back to the day at Man City, what, what I wanted to ask because obviously not long after that I did sign and 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 I walked into we were talking to Paul Dickoff um, last week and I and we were talking about good dressing rooms and I walked into what what I seen as a good dressing room there but what was it like before I got there what were the lads you know uh, Bob and and Redo and Lakey on the likes what was the dressing room and the atmosphere then like before I got there it, it was pretty good but I think you mentioned that they, they, they're such a great youth team that you know about five or six had come through the won the FA Youth Cup beat United 3-0 I think 25,000 people there so um, but it was a good wrestling room because they were good. They were good kids. I mean, you had David White and then and and Cliff, which, which were a little bit. They were quite brainy people, not your average footballers, but in general, like Huey. Uh, it was a it was a decent dressing room, but it, it needed a little bit of lifting. It needed maybe some like yourself, a little bit of scouts to come in and lift it a little bit. But it was a it was a decent dressing room. It was a it was a fair dressing room to be fair. But it was very, very. I mean, when I when I came and played for Man City, I was like the third oldest player. Do you know what I mean at 25? So it shows how young the team was in some of the games. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, so so after that, moving on to the Bradford game was huge. So you just drawn with Bournemouth, and then you needed a point at Bradford, and there was obviously. Um, there was, there was, there seemed to be a nervousness among the fans, you know, from from everything I've read, uh, going into that game, um, and I watched the the highlights recently on YouTube. They've got um they've got the the um the highlights on YouTube, and and Trev, I think you must have had like five or six, maybe even more shots on goal that just didn't seem to go your way when you were one nil down uh, against Bradford. What what was what was the frustration like in the middle of that game? You know, like what was the what was the feeling? You know, did you feel like you you wouldn't like never just going to get that goal or 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 how, how did you feel during all that? Yeah, I mean, I think you summed it up really well there because uh, I remember that game. I don't remember many games, but I do remember that game, and I did have like five or six chances, and I probably should have scored. I was a little bit unlucky. I think one couple of good saves, but yeah, I, I felt a goal coming and. Um, and what the scenario was that Palace had to win four nil, so there was another there was another equation to this. If Palace had to win four nil, and what happened was then the news came round that Palace were winning four yeah. nil, and then suddenly, suddenly the crowd was like really edgy, and you know it got really nervy and everything. But I, I, as I remember that game, it was one of those games where I thought I'm going to score. I know I'm just give me one more chance because, like you said, six seven chances and. If you see the goal, it came straight from Paul Cooper, and it was a great move. And uh, yeah, I think there's a bit David I lucky finish. I just slid in, and, yeah. But you know the funny thing: if you watch that video, if you watch that video, there's one thing that sticks out for it. I scored the most important goal in my career. Yeah, right in front of the Man City fans, five minutes from the end to get his promotion to the top league, and not one person came to celebrate with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you watch it, I, 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 if you watch, if you watch it, I run in front of the crowd with my arm up, with Aaron, Alan Shearer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as I as I wear the weight, there's not one player come towards me. <laughs> so I look straight to the linesman and think I'm offside or what? Yeah. I think I've got no mates or what? The linesman come the, celebrate the with you. Yeah. That, the effect of that mustache was kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I read too. I read. Wasn't there a fan that ran on the field at, uh, near half time and said Palace were five nil up or something like that? I think yeah, they went. They that, went over to Paul happened, Lake. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Paul Lake, and yeah, that was the message coming through. So that was like there was a m- m- lot, lot of people on the pitch saying, "Shit, Palace are winning four 0 we're, we're in trouble." Do you know what I mean? We've got to score. And yeah. So um, did, did... It, it was a perfect game in a way to um, to score late on and get promotion, uh, promotion and the emotion and everything and. I think it was ironic because I got a new contract on that. Yeah. And um, because the chairman, um, God bless him, he said that was a a one million pound goal. (laughs) And if you think one million pound, and is it 200 million pounds now to get promotions? So just show us how far the game's gone. The the irony of of that as well, and I didn't realise till later on in my life, never mind later on in my career, is that if Trev hadn't scored that goal, I wouldn't have signed for Man City. Yeah. Because they wouldn't have got promotion. And I was on the verge of a move from Bournemouth. Wherever I was going to go, it was going to be to one of the top flight teams. I never actually knew there was an interest from Man City at all. Even that second-to-last game at Main Road when I played for Bournemouth, I knew that Kenny Dalglish was in was in the stands. And it wasn't sure there was whispers whether he was watching Lakey or whether he was watching me. And, and as Trev said, I mean, I did play fairly well that day. So I, I assumed it was going to be, even then, the second to last game of the season, I never knew of Man City's interest in me. Yeah. So, I mean, back then it was all about your agent knew and the managers knew, but the players never got to know. It wasn't as viral, the media, you know, like now you've no. got the gossip hits before anything can get out. Not, a, not at all, but yeah. I mean, the funniest thing for me was that, especially signing for Man City, is that Bournemouth game scuppered. I think they had planned, and you, Trev, you'd have planned a trip to Australia. If you yeah, won that great, day, yeah. if you won that day against Bournemouth, uh, you weren't even going to play against Bradford. You were going to go on a, a club trip and a jolly up to celebrate your promotion and go to Australia. Because we come back from three 0 down and made it three three, we sort of scuppered the, the trip to Australia. And I remember there being a little bit of an atmosphere in the dressing room when I did sign, but we did talk about the trip. It, it's just like Man City of old, though, isn't it? To to, to have it 3-0 up and then... Uh, oh, they then, wouldn't have look, had it any other way. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it was Man City of old, yeah. Yeah. Um, Trev, what was... Did you feel the atmosphere? Like, what was the feeling from... So, obviously, the fans were getting nervy. How how does that feel, being on the pitch with all the eyes on you? People knowing Palace were up. I think that game ended 4-1 at the Palace, but... What was that feeling being on the pitch? With with, did you feel the eyes glaring at, at you and all the rest of the players? Yeah, not, not so much. I have to be totally honest. I didn't. My, personally, what I felt was that um, I, I I had to do something because I'd had the chances. It was me that had the chances, and people was always going to blame me because I always say that. I've always said this. People always fans always have a got strikers when they miss chances, but I never do because if you get getting chances, you'll score. Yeah. People never have a go. People that don't get chances, I, I think they see it wrong. And that day, I felt like a goal was coming because, you, like you said, it, you seen it on YouTube, and it was a, it was some bad finishing, some bit unlucky, something quite going. I just felt a goal was coming. So um, I, I, I remember having a positive feeling, um, and I think that um, for me and Bish has been there as well. You know, when you when you start at a club and then you you, you play lower, play lower down like he did. With Carlisle, and I did it. I mean, I did it even worse at Carlisle. You know, you go six, five, four, three, two. I went through the divisions. There's something 
that's instilled in you. I think that some players don't have the academy academy players that come through, players that are top players, uh, play at top clubs all the career. I just think that you know that. I'll say Jamie Vardy, for instance. I mean, look at Jamie Vardy. I mean, he doesn't look like a footballer. He looks like a, I don't know why he looks like a ferret or something. But, <laughs> but the way to think he was playing non-league football like five, six years ago, yeah. seven years ago maybe, twenty-four years old to see what he's done. But he's still, you can still see he's got that non-league in him. He's still got oh, a little 100%. crack. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I love him for that. That's why, I, like, I mean, you look at the likes of fucking Jesse Lingard and. He's all about he's all about the fame, not the football, you know. So and Vardy's the opposite. And yeah. Vardy's the complete. That's quite opposite. a good comparison, that concept. Yeah, Vardy looked like he'll still come fix your toilet if you needed it, you know. <laughs> and but still banging the goal, you know. Hey Trev, I I, I just want to ask you something. How do you feel about? Um, I mean, obviously. I, I never really saw your goals growing up because I wasn't born yet. But, I mean, you look back on the videos and they called you Nudger for a reason, but how how do you feel about, like, today's game? And, like, do you, do you feel like most of the goals you would have scored with defenders diving nowadays, like the likes of Ramos and all that, do you think they would have, like, been, been fouls? Been fouls and that, and that you wouldn't be able to lean into the defenders like... Like, how do you feel about that? Uh, without being big-headed, because I was not the greatest footballer, but well, I was the greatest nudger ever. And uh, <laughs> I think that I was such a good nudger that, you know, people, the referees didn't spot it most of the times. I nudged them just at the right time, just before the ball was coming. Yeah. I, I was very good at knowing... Yeah, I mean, it's noticeable now the on the video. It, if someone kicked the ball, I knew exactly where it was going to land. I know that if that's a skill. And Bish is probably the same. A lot of... You see now, you see centre forwards, they're under the ball, they're not even near where the ball's going to land. Now, as soon as that ball left, for example, Ludo's foot, I knew exactly where it was going to be. Yeah. And I get my body in the right position so a defender couldn't get. And if he tried to get in front of me, I'd go down or I'd nudge him first or win a free kick. So I think it's a, it will, it's a skill that I'm proud of. I mean, your dad's got. Your dad. What I love about your dad is he had ball, technically had the best ball skills ever. I didn't <laughs> you would, you would know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it came from Tony Gale because when we used to play in the gym or play five sides at West Ham, that Tony used to hate it because he used to give a nudge all the time. He used to get really angry. He'd go, "That's a free kick," and no one, he never got a free kick. You know, so he yeah. said, "You're a nudger." <laughs> and, and, and it, well, that's, probably because, that's probably because there was a brick wall you was nudging him into. <laughs> <laughs> there's a perfect uh, example again. Just going back to the highlights against Bradford. There's a there's a when when you were still one 0 down. There's a there's a highlight of you. You I think you head the ball in the air. You spin around and realize the ball's gone up and who cares? And then you 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 slam the other player. Yeah. I don't know who it was, but yeah, you knock yeah. him down. You literally nudge him and. Um, it would have easily been a foul today. I mean, if the ref saw it again, though, like you're saying, you, you were you were good at getting away with it and not having the ref see it. But yeah. it was imagine just the AR. Yeah, imagine. It, yeah. Was, it was really fucking annoying in training, though. To be yeah. fair, yeah. I must admit, dead man's bones. We used to call them as well. He had a he, <laughs> he had a proper carcass, didn't you, Trev? Well, I have to go back to. I remember a little story on Eaton now when we played uh, Wildstone, and um, they had two massive centre halves. 
and uh, I was nudging them like like I did, and they were getting a bit angry. But I remember the ball went up high in the air, and the, the left back was under the ball. And um, it was one of those, I was, I was like 20 metres away, and I thought, I'm going to win this. I, I knew I was going to win the ball. I'm going to flatten him. Yeah. So he's standing on the ball, and I've ran, I've won the header, and I've flattened him. He's, he's on the floor, blood coming out of his mouth, whatever. And like the two... <laughs> The two centre-halves have come running for me, and they're big guys, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Richard Hill, who you mentioned earlier, was sent, he was a bit crazy as well. So he's gone to protect me, and there's a fight gone. So anyway, so Richard Hill's got a red card, and he's walked down the tunnel. And at Nuneaton, there was one sort of big stand with about 500 people there, and the tunnel was right, you had to walk in the middle. That's where the dressing rooms were. So Richard Hill walked off, and then all the crowd were booing, and then he gave a red to one of the the smallest of the big centre-halves at Willstone, and he went off, he walked down the tunnel, and then he gave a red card to this, I think his name was Bo Jess, he was huge with a beard, whatever. And the crowd were like, loving it, they were standing up, there were about four, five hundred in this stands, standing on the stairs, clapping, Yay! and as he walked down the tunnel, he jumped into the stand. <laughs> and all, all of them sat down, they all sat down and stopped clapping. <laughs> it was like the most funny thing I've ever seen. There was 450 people like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the defenders jumped into the stand and they all sat down. No, we, we, they were clapping. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't doing anything. That's funny. Not like that Eric Dyer video that came out a couple of weeks ago where he, he went after uh, whoever. Um, so so going, back to, going back to that, that Man United time, uh, the Man, Man City time, you've gotta, we've got to talk about the... The demolition derby. Yeah. I just tweeted a picture today where, when I scored my goal, you're in the background walking away like yeah, that was happened. that was funny. <laughs> didn't care. I tell, you what, I tell you what that was. I tell you what that was. That right. I didn't think we was going to win, and I didn't want to celebrate the goals. Now what happened was we scored the first goal. I think David Oldfield, and I'm thinking still not going to win this. And then I scored the second goal a couple of minutes later, and I sort of ran down the line. In front of the the fans there, and David White said to me, "Take your time." I went, "What?" Because he was dead clever. David White he said, "Take as long as we can to walk back to the centre, and that centre, centre, you know, back back to their own half." And I'm thinking that was so negative. It's almost like two nils not enough. And I remember Bush scored the third. I'm thinking it's still too early. I don't think we're going to. It was. I wanted to celebrate. I really wanted to celebrate. But I couldn't because I didn't think that was enough to win us a game. I know that sounds negative, but I remember that was my feelings at the time. And looking back, I'm so angry I didn't jump, you know what I mean? Jump on top of your dad. You were jealous. I was a bit annoyed because that, that should have been my goal because that was coming straight for me. Well, there's I was a... right behind you and I would have buried that and you did a perfect header, <laughs> which you, wasn't, you weren't aggressive. Best header in the world, you know. I mean, he was he. I mean, he wasn't. But no. anyway, no. he buried it, and that, and that, that was my thoughts. I thought three 0 I'm pissed off. He took my ball. No, I didn't. That's that's bullshit. <laughs> but no, it was the thought that we're not going to beat Man United, and I remember celebrating the last goal. And then I knew. I thought now, now five one. Yeah. And you know, when when Mark Hughes scored three one, I thought here I mean, we go. Mar Mark Hughes' goal was absolutely amazing as well. So yeah. He got one of them every week, though. Yeah, exactly. But the thing so was, I, I, didn't really, I didn't really believe it possible till till uh, David Oldfield had scored the fourth goal. That was yeah. when I felt, because we stopped the momentum fairly straight away yeah. and, and got that three-goal advantage again. Yeah. And then um, I think the fifth goal, I think you, you 
it was me and you in the middle of the park that you yeah. played it to me and I just checked inside and put it over the over the full back for Whitey. And then that was it then, wasn't it, mate? It was it was done and dusted. It was unbelievable feeling. Nobody had expected it. And and, and for the city fans who were long suffering and were for a long time after that, as you as you can gather how long that sort of game stuck with them until the six one that we'd already spoke about a few weeks back. It's a, it's a diamond yeah, in the rough, isn't it? Yeah, milestone, yeah. And even yeah, that is still talked about as bigger than the six one. Because yeah. of the team we had against the team that they had. Oh, the yeah, position. They, they were, yeah. yeah, their whole entire team was like Champions League worthy, you know? Like, yeah, he spent a few quid, hadn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so, just I think the thing was that I think Brian Robson he was a super player, wasn't he? And uh, oh, yeah. um, I remember that I remember there been rumours that he wasn't playing, and that sort of gave us a little bit of a boost. But uh, yeah, the day, that. that, that Trev, don't forget, we were we were missing Chewy and Clive Allen that day as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, as it happened, David Oldfield came in for Clive and and ended up getting two of the goals and, and making a couple, didn't he? Yeah. Trev, you said. Uh, yeah, Trev, you said you said you said it was David White who was telling you to keep you keep your cool, keep your head on you, and 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 walk back slowly. Yeah. Was that was that a feeling? Do you think like was that a feeling amongst enough of the players to where that contributed to the to the win being as as big as it was? You know, was, do you think like the, was there a feeling that the the team, the city squad, kept their head together, or did you feel a sense of you know? I mean, no. was there a sense like yeah? Was we was, were a very young team, Jordan. Yeah. We were a very young team, weren't we, Trevor? I mean. I, well, you was obviously one of the oldest out there. Not Paul Cooper and goal, but I think apart from him, you was probably the oldest outfield player, wasn't you? Yeah, and I think I think I was. Uh, no, did, did, did Shuey play, didn't he? Or, uh, no, Shuey didn't play. No, Shuey was out. No, so I'd be probably twenty-five. Yeah, probably. So that's how young the team was, and when you yeah. say not oh, just young, uh, yeah. inexperienced as well. So, but. But I think the youngsters, it, it, maybe looking back, because you've got David White and Inscliff, Steve Redmond that have come up together. Um, Blakey. Bright. Blakey, yeah. Bright. They, they all played that day. So that's amazing to have five players through the academy. And that, so I think, I don't think we were, there was no fear in us. I don't think there was, it, it wasn't a fear factor. It was more like, I don't think I believe we was going to win, but I, I wasn't, it wasn't a fear factor. It was just one of those days where everything went right for us. Yeah. And uh, we scored some great goals. I mean, no disrespect, David Oldfield wasn't the best player I've ever played with, to be fair, but he had a great day. Redo was outstanding. Your dad was brilliant. You know, so it was just it's just one of those days where, and Inchcliffe, of course, that last goal, it's just a classic, uh, that last goal when like, Bishop comes it in white and then, you know, what's the left back doing up there? That's the commentator. I always remember him saying that because you're four one up. Yeah, yeah. He shouldn't really be. He shouldn't really be there, should he? Yeah, he, shouldn't, exactly, he should just. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was a I great think, day. I think yeah. after the fourth, after the fourth, when I said I felt comfortable, I think that's when they'd surrendered them. You know what I mean? And, and we had a freedom then that that we hadn't had for the whole game. I don't think. Um, you know, and I, I remember. I think it was Clive Tilsley who was commentating. I think he said, yeah. when you talk about teams now when there's a high press, he'd said about our work rate and our ethic and, and and how Man United couldn't settle on the ball because whenever there was one of them on it, there was two of us closing down, you know? 
and that, and that went right through the team. And, and yeah. look, I mean, for centre forwards, it's not a you pat me on the back, I'll pat you on the back. But you worked your socks off, Trev. Yeah. Without without the ball, you, you know what I mean. You, like you said, you did do the spade work and the donkey work. Yeah. We had a similar conversation with Dicky. He would go and close full backs down and run past his other centre forward, and and probably forfeit goal scoring chances because he he couldn't physically be there because of the extra work he did. I think yeah. you still had that. I know football changed as as well, you know, but but you still had that work ethic about wanting to chase back and wanting to. You know, want to put your foot in and, and and do your bit for the team as well as getting in them goal scoring positions. And and I did a podcast um, last week, and they did most underrated players for West Ham, and and you was in there. And I can't understand for the life of me how you could have been underrated when when your record itself, you know, I think three consecutive seasons you were leading scorer and hammer of the year. Something I never ever get on the top three for. Yeah, ninety four wasn't it? Hammer of the year. I mean, it's good. This is a good. This is a good transition into into the move to West Ham from from City. Um, well, so uh, from what I've read and from what we've heard, I mean, you two weren't um, all that close at City. At least not as close as you were at West Ham. Not <laughs> poking the bear here. <laughs> Couldn't get a newspaper between us. Yeah. <laughs> So what was that? Um, I mean, so you two went to, from City to West Ham, and Mark Ward went the other way. What was that deal like? I mean, I know there's some stories there we're, we're going to get into. Um, well, that, that's the strange thing, isn't it? I mean, look, you become friends. But we obviously we were staying in the same hotel when we moved. We we were we had the respect for each other. Obviously, we'd had the meeting on the field when I played Bournemouth, and, and you know we'd become friends. And in all in all honesty, Trevor will will admit this. He's not the most outgoing of people. He wasn't back then. He was, you know, but but once you got to know him, he he was one of the funniest people you could meet. And he would say, because of his, his intelligence, but I'm forever doubting that. <laughs> He's just got this dry sense of humour that you have to get to know him before you you realise who the man is. So so I think the first, because it was only five months to be honest with you, me signing for City, which is why I asked him what the dressing room was like before I got there. Me signing for City, you sort of, you know, you latch on to, to similar people. Mm-hmm. And Trev being the quieter one, it wasn't that we latched on straight away until we we actually got the move. But I've got my side of the story, obviously, because I'm, I'm, I'm an individual learning from Howard what's going on with me. Once there was the, you know, me and Trev did obviously talk about certain things. We wasn't going to talk about what have you been offered, what have I been offered, because that wasn't the way it was back then, you know. Yeah. Although, although now people's wages are out there for everyone to see, it wasn't like that back then. So there was three separate deals going on, and we only uh, was getting to hear it through, obviously, the manager Howard Kendall at the times, yeah. and uh, we all heard different things. I don't know what Trev's side of it was, but I'm sure he'll explain. I think for me, Mitch, it was like when I when I first signed for Manchester City, they they. After a couple of months, they hated me. I, I wasn't didn't score a goal, the odd goal, and uh, they loved the guy called Paul Molden. He was the local boy hero, but he wasn't a great player. But he got the goals. Uh, Paul Stewart had just gone to Tottenham, and he scored thirty goals. So 
the crowd were really on the back, and they it came to the extent where you know the the writing newspapers, why is Morley playing, blah blah blah, and it came to the, the, the stage where they were actually booing me, you know, if I if I gave a pass away or whatever, and, and basically, yeah. you, you know, basically what that's like is, and I was like, I, I'll be honest, I started drinking quite a lot because I, I wasn't coping with it. I just I definitely I knew know what that's like. Yeah. So, yeah, no, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um but what happened for me was then um I started scoring some good goals. I scored a hat trick against Leicester and I, like the Bradford goal we we talked about and suddenly I got my confidence, I was playing well and um they took to me. I was I wasn't the favourite but I was they were singing my name, you know, I, I turned over and I, I was quite proud of that. And I'd done it by my hard work. I knew I'd done it by just steaming and flying around. Remember the United game, I was flying all over the place in the tackles. I remember that. Just okay. thinking, let's hold on to this. It wasn't a case of keep possession, although we did play play well. So, so that time came. I was quite surprised that I remember that there was some friendly game, and I think Howard, someone said to me, "You're not going." I went, "Why? No, you've got to go up to the office." And it was just out of the blue. West Ham want you, and uh, I didn't even know a bit what ambitious that time either. So yeah. it was uh, it was almost like. It's like a school kid being told what to do, really. I mean, it's almost I had no choice in it. You know, I thought, you know, I loved it at Man City and I'd just turned the crowd round. We're in the top division. We've got a decent team. But, but um, yeah, I mean, that was a bit of my personality. I, I let people sort of take charge of the, charge of the situation. Before, before I know it, you haven't talked to West Ham and, and the deal's done. And, uh, yeah, we, we swapped two puffs for a midget. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I, I, I remember, I actually remember, I don't know where, I, I can't for the, for the life of me remember, but I remember speaking to uh, Mark Ward, and he's, he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's quality, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's hilarious, yeah. Well, well, my side of it all, what, what Howard, it, the, the, the deal got delayed, Trev, didn't it? If you remember. Howard had come in in his first game. Um, I hadn't missed a game all season. His first game was Everton away, the one I'd been waiting for. And he left yeah. me out. He left yeah. me out of the team, didn't he? And, uh, I mean, I was for him. I'd said to Lakey, two weeks before I would got there, once, once the news broke, I said, it's been nice nice knowing you. So I had a funny feeling I was I was going to go. And Lakey went, there's no way in a million years this this club's going to let you go. The fans love you too much, yeah. you know. And, I mean, a lot of that was down to that Man United game. But I'd like to think that I did other things. Um, <laughs> apart from that game, and and funny enough, when when Howard picked the first thing, because do you remember Trevor? I think I played you in at Southampton. We he, we knew he was watching the game Southampton. That was the last game before he he took over. Yeah. Um, we lost two one. I think Clive scored. You'd hit a shot. I'd played you through, so it sort of set you through. You hit the shot. Clive scored. I thought you know I've done okay. I know he's coming, and. Uh, that's, like I say, that first game, Everton away, I end up getting 20 minutes on the right wing or the left wing, wherever it was. And and then the deal got scuppered. So we were going to go. I think we'd all agreed everything. And my side of the story was what Howard told me that Wardy had a horse down south in London <laughs> and, and Trevor had a horse up north. And they were arguing still. They couldn't decide whether they are going to do a swap deal with the horses. <laughs> And Trev, you would have looked silly riding around on a Shetland pony, wouldn't you? <laughs> Do you know, I, I've heard that story. I, don't, I mean, I did have a horse at the time, and uh, uh, it was Red Rump. I can't remember what it was called, but, but um, 
<laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no truth in that story. I, but I, I do vaguely remember it being the, the slight delay. But I can remember distinctly when Howard first came, and um, we were doing a, like a, a game, and he gave the bibs out, and he he gave a, a bib to Meg, Gary Megson and not you. Yeah, yeah, that remember was that. Yeah. Don't read anything into it. And yeah, I remember thinking before the Everton game, yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking. Because for me, I remember you, you was like, the crowd love you, you've been outstanding, you was like such a great player. I'm thinking, this can't be possible. It can't be like, oh, nothing against Gary, Gary Megson, but, and um, I mean, I liked, in that short time, I liked Howard, and, and he brought Peter Reid with him, but although I put my foot in it there, because he was called Freddie, and my first thing, they said, I said to him, why do they call, why do they call you Freddie? Is it because you look like Freddie Freddy Cougar? <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't joking. I, don't, I should never have said that. I was, first time I'd met him, he was like a bit of a superstar. And he went, what did you say? With them like crazy eyes. I went, uh, uh. Just crazy Freddy Krueger eyes, yeah. He had long nails. <laughs> so, um, for me, Freddy, was, and, and Howard played me. I mean, Howard played me in front of Clive Allen. So, I didn't think he didn't, in those couple of games, he didn't not like me, but, um. So it was a bit of a surprise, but um, yeah. That was... Well, I, I what it was is is we'd had the Everton thing, and to be fair, I was on the bench in the Man City. I don't know if you remember Trevor Goodison, but the Man City fans sang my name constantly, you know. And I kept looking over at him, and he just wouldn't put me on. It was just like I said. I think we end, we ended up drawing nil nil. He put me on the last twenty minutes. I don't know whether it was under duress because of the city fans or, or what, yeah. but but the deal was going ahead after that, and then and then it got it got sort of put on hold, and then we couldn't sign because the next game was coming up, and I think it was Norwich at home. Do you remember that we won one yeah. nil? Yeah. And he act, he actually started me, and there was there was banners in the stadium, Bish and Trev don't go, because obviously yeah. it leaked out about the move and and what have you, and there was banners, you know, don't go, and it was. I knew for a fact it was we played quite well. We won one nil, and I didn't want to leave the field. Somebody tweeted me today that they remember that day, and and I, I was crying my eyes out on the field. And I think I was the last to come off, mm. and and Howard was waiting there, like on the touchline, waiting for me to come over. And I, I thought maybe things have changed now. Maybe maybe the deal will be will be over. You know, I've played and I've played well. Maybe the deal won't happen. And then I went to see him the very next day, and I went, has, has anything changed? He said, no. So um, that was it then. Once your manager's sort of willing to let you go, what's the point in staying? That was, that was my side of it. And look, at the end of the day, it was West Ham. And I had, I had great images of them and, and watching them play in Europe. And, and it may sound stupid, but even the stanchions on the goals, when you used to watch them on a telly, them short stanchions, you know? I thought, you know what, I might like it there. They play great football. It's got a great footballing tradition. And and we ended up, what, uh, going and staying in the, in the Swallow Hotel for God knows how long. Yeah, we, so that's when we got thrown together, yeah. really, and that's where we yeah. became good mates and we spent time together. And uh, um, being at the Swallow there was... It was good times. I mean, it was... It's like you say, obviously Man City didn't want me anymore and West Ham wanted you, so... The, you know, I didn't really have much say in it and I didn't really think about, like you thought, West Ham, although I found that later. My, my dad made his debut for Forest at Upton Park, which yeah. was a bit surreal. But, yeah. but um, 
many years ago, like 50 years, 60 years before that. But, um, yeah, I mean, looking back, it was a good move. And, uh, you know, to, to, to be privileged to play for Man City and then to move to another club like West Ham. Um, I, one of my biggest regrets is I didn't really... I didn't... Those EastEnders are such great people and the supporters. All the, I mean, to play for Man City and West Ham, the two of the best lots of supporters you could ever want in your life, you know. And I agree. With the West Ham, yeah. yeah. And the West Ham fans especially, because they really know the football, you know. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're on the, if you're not doing it, or they, 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 they let you know, but if you're doing okay, they let you know as well. So, in a way, it worked out. I think it was sort of a dream move for me, in a way, to, to go to London and to, to play for West Ham. And, you know, we dropped the division at the time, so that was a bit negative. Uh we got a bit more money. I remember me and Bruce getting the auto trade and deciding what car was going to buy. <laughs> and he was going to go. He was going to go for a Porsche. I remember it. Nine, yeah, nine two eight, and I was going to go for a Jaguar or something. And uh, I think we ended up buying them as well, like idiots. But I remember the I think Porsche. I bought a Mercedes first. Do you remember that? The one ninety. Yeah, the Mercedes. Yeah, yeah. where they lowered, they had the skirts on it. They kept flying off all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and you, like you, you both you both weren't into <laughs> you both weren't into skirts back then, were you? So. <laughs> Here we go. So, oh, it's been a while. So we keep we keep. It's funny because um, sorry, I just wanted to mention West Ham fans. Is, they're the only fans that I mean, obviously um, when we go back to England, we go watch games and that. West Ham fans, even though it's a derby and that, they're the only fans that I'll actually tell that I'm an actual Chelsea fan because they love to talk football before actual rivalry. Before they stab you. Yeah, before they stab <laughs> or it brick me, yeah. So, so we, remember, we've got this cliffhanger that we're getting to to the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we, we keep straying towards it and then coming back. So let's get back to the football again. You both made yeah. your debuts against Leicester. Um, was it easier? So, so um, like Trev, you knew you had a lot of experience in moving around clubs. Was it easier moving with Ian, like both of you being on the field at the same time, making your debut? Then was it easier knowing that there was someone behind you? Again, no pun intended. Um, that you'd been familiar with. Um, I, I had a nightmare first marriage where I was locked in, so I, I wasn't that sociable. And then the uh, fish brought me out of it really a lot. And we got to be real close friends and. Uh, so to move with him made it a bit easier, yeah. But um, you know, I still had the moustache at the time, so I looked like a idiot <laughs> going in the nineties to London with with that northern moustache wasn't a good move. But yeah. um, <laughs> going um, anywhere with that moustache wouldn't be. <laughs> Did you feel the the chemistry on the pitch was still there, even though it was a different club? Yeah, for me, I mean, to play for me, one thing that stuck out when I signed for West Ham was that. Um, we had like uh, like Bish mentioned, they did play football, and we had uh, Alvin Martin and Tony Gale and as a centre forward. It was brilliant because they would like just ping balls into my feet, and of course your dad, he, your dad just knew he just he was such a good player, such a good passer. He knew he knew exactly where I was going to go. Well, he knew exactly yeah. where to play the ball into me. So um, he, he made me a lot better player because. Um, he just knew. He just knew I'd hold it up for him or I'd go in behind. He knew exactly when to play the ball to me. So Trevor settled in way quicker than I did at West Ham. Yeah. In a football sense, I knew it took me maybe six, seven games or whatever. Yeah. But he just, he just fitted straight in. You know, he, he proved himself way before I did. Yeah. And, I, and, and I'm grateful. I mean, look, I know the West Ham fans don't really hold Lou McCarty in great esteem, but but when they think about it. 
the, the signing of us two and Ludek and Tim Breaker. You yeah. know, he, he left a sort of legacy trap, didn't he, as well? And I don't know if you remember, mate. You remember our first sort of experience of Blue? And he didn't like players having a beer, to be honest with you. He didn't mind us betting and uh, going to the races, but he didn't like you having a beer. And one of the first things he did was to take us to a health farm. Do you remember that? Do you want to go on to that? Sir? Oh, fuck. I can remember because he, he, he said that we were overweight, me, you, I think Frank McAvaney. And he took Kevin Keane, who's like the thinnest guy ever. Um, we were overweight, I don't know, but it, it was surreal because I think the only reason we did it, looking back, was Lou wanted to hide from the newspapers because he'd been in all sorts of trouble with some scandals or whatever with betting or whatever. And uh, he, he wanted to hide from the press and I think that was his way out. And he took about six or seven of us there and... And uh, my, my, my memory is that um, I remember Frank McAvaney coming in with a McDonald's hat on. <laughs> Ronald, he, he'd sneaked out and got some food because the food, you got no food at all. We were getting starved in that place. But uh, coming back to Ludo, a little story I remember is when we, when we first signed was Dent Swallow, Ludo came as well. And of course, he couldn't he couldn't speak any English. He, he was he was terrible at speaking English. And uh, he used to follow us. He used to follow us. He'd follow us and we'd say, Follow, and he say swallow, no follow, swallow, swallow, and he get mixed up between swallow, swallow hotel, and swallow. Yeah. So did you? And I remember we had, a, yeah. we, we had a Christmas party. I remember we had a Christmas party, and um, Ludo just signed, and uh, it was a fancy dress party, and Ludo's turned up, and he hasn't got a fancy dress. Like, he didn't understand that he had to have a. Have a can remember this bitch? Yeah, they had to have a fancy dress, so everyone's got the stuff. So we've took him down to the shop. There's a, a fancy dress shop nearby, and they've got nothing in his size because he was huge. You know what I mean? And he ended up got this little pirate suit, and it's far too small for him. And he's like, he's just, he's just about, he's dragged it onto his body, and he, he looks like, yeah, he looks weird to be honest. Big Ludo, he's like seven foot tall, and he's in this little pirate out, pirate, uh, there's no sailor outfit, I think it was. And I remember. Frank McAvaney has ordered like some limousines, and they're like that one of them broke down after about two miles. <laughs> These Rolls Royce or something. But we're driving anyway, and Ludo said, because Ludo lived not, we we're driving past Ludo's house. He said, "Can it's okay? I'm just going to tell my wife I'm going to the party." And I always remember this. We stopped outside Ludo's house, and he ran out in this little outfit and knocked on the door. <laughs> and his wife came out, and she saw him, and Ludo. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> she could speak English. No, she said it. She said it in a different language. But uh, I remember that Ludo standing there. We had a few pints. Ludo standing there in this ridiculous outfit, and she looked over his shoulder. And there, I was dressed as a Viking, and Bish was dressed as a woman. I, think, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you had to wear something that went with your mustache. Yeah. You know, remember we were at the we were at the um, the health farm. And we were eating, literally eating lettuce and apples, and it was it was awful. We were getting up at six in the morning, and going for like a five mile run, and it was it was scandalous. We were straight into the gym, and, and he battered us. Lou absolutely battered us. Yeah. Do you remember Trev? He, he kept complaining about a toothache. He kept saying to us, "I've got yeah. this toothache, this toothache." Yeah. And on the way in, uh, the long driveway, it was Henlow Grange. There's a there's a pub on the main road which we'd noticed on the way in, and. Uh, that run we were doing every morning, obviously we'd run down the driveway, the pub was there, and then, and then do our work. 
anyway, this the last night we were there, as Trev said, Lou had had his problems with the press and what was going on. I think it was to do with Twin the chairman at the time as well. You were involved yeah. with something, but um, we've we've the people at the Henlow Grange had, had got a hypnotist in for the last night, like as a source of entertainment, <laughs> source of entertainment for everybody. So we're standing there at the back, and all the other people from the health farm are there. And the hypnotist's got this like armchair at the front, and and he's gone right. Has anyone got any ailments, any pains, or you know back trouble? And we've gone, yeah, he's got a toothache. Lou's got a toothache, and Lou's gone. No, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. So he's got. We've gone. Yeah, he has. He's been moaning all week. Get him up there. And Lou's gone. No, no, I haven't. Honestly, it's fine. Anyway, the hypnotist just goes, "Come on up, come on up." So he sits him down in the chair. He puts him under. As soon as Lou closes his eyes and goes under, we all sodded off down to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> Snuck out the back door. Went down the pub. We actually got to stay behind. We stayed there till I don't know, was it something like five in the morning, Trev? And we were yeah. running at six. We literally had time to get back to our room. Yeah. Get undressed, get in bed, get out the other side, put your kit on. <laughs> we went to we went to go downstairs and the manager had, had sort of come up and went, Oh, you, you you've got a message here. So it was a note from Lou. He had to leave at eleven o'clock yeah. the night before. So yeah. we just we all went back to bed, didn't we, Trev? Yeah. Got together. Yeah. We went back. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I'd, I'd forgotten that story. Yeah, I remember the relief. Yeah, oh. it, that was like dream scenario. Lou had gone. Yeah, he'd gone. Yeah, so we didn't know we were out till that late. Happy days, eh? Happy days. Yeah, I've done that a few times. The uh, drinking late and then running in the morning. That's one of the oh, biggest regrets in football. Did nobody like throw up like after? Oh yeah. You know, like... I've been there. I've been there in the in the toilets before going out for training. Yeah. days. When you know you've really, you've really. I mean, look, weekends were weekends. We knew Monday was going to be a tough day, didn't we? I mean, under Billy, under Harry, you know, the managers came in after Lou had left. I mean, the thing for me, Trev, was was being at Man City for five months, and Mel Machen getting sacked, and then going to West Ham, and after three months, Lou got sacked. Yeah. You know. You yeah. tend to feel like you might be a bit of a jinx, or yeah, you know. And then and then Billy comes in and and one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life, wasn't he? He was, yeah, he's brilliant. I can remember one story with you when you've been drinking, and I don't remember this when he actually had any pints, you dad, and you was like, because uh, Billy, can remember he started running with you a couple of times. Yeah, they, they would, the maybe wear maybe wear them fat pants, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? It was what, what it remember. was. Yeah, we. The first game of the season, I think, was was Charlton at home, if you remember. And Harry had sort of come in alongside Billy. And Charlton at home, I remember we were losing 1-0 at half-time. And we come in and they sort of give us a bit of a roasting. And then we come out for the second half. And after two minutes, I hadn't even touched the ball. After two minutes, Billy subs me. And I'm, in all honesty... Like, I walked off, I walked straight down the tunnel. And as I, as I walked off, I turned to Billy and went, you, I don't want to say the word. I know it's a podcast where we think we can say anything, but oh, it began God. with a C. It began with a C. And ended with an unt. <laughs> yeah, it ended with an unt. And I walked straight down the tunnel and uh, I got dressed. And the embarrassed, do you remember Charlie? 
the fellow yeah. in the car park. He was brilliant. Um, I've gone to Charlie. I've gone, Charlie. Uh, sorry, I've gone. I've got dressed and I've gone to just drive home before the game had finished. And I got to the car park and I was blocked in by everybody. <laughs> so I had to do these walk of shame and walk back in after people had seen me storming out. So I walked back <laughs> in. I got to Charlie. Charlie's going through everybody's pockets to find the car keys to, to move the car so I can actually storm out. <laughs> and uh, I actually waited in the car park before he, he moved all these cars out of my way <laughs> so I could drive home. Anyway, get Monday morning, how embarrassing. Monday morning, I know I'm going to get it like so. I walk in and Billy sort of sees me and goes, piss in the office now. And I went, oh. He went, um, did you call me a cunt? <laughs> I went, and I must admit, boys, Treble tell you, he was intimidating. He was he was a proper man's man and intimidating, you know. I went, oh, yeah, I did. He went, you're fucking out of order. I went, no, hold on a minute. I said, you're fucking out of order. He went, how do you make that out? I went, well, you're coming at half time. You've let me go out for two minutes and humiliated me by taking me off, yeah, even though I didn't touch the ball. That's I said, why like... did you just take me off at half time? He went, oh, I didn't think of it like that. He said, oh, I apologise for that. I went, I apologise for calling you the cunt then. <laughs> <laughs> but I, think, then I think that, uh, yeah, go on. Well, before the next game, Newcastle away, I think it was, Trev. Newcastle away, Billy's gone on the Friday or whatever it was, he's gone, and because we were travelling, he went, Bish, I think I'm, I'm going to leave you out. I went, and why is that? He went, well, I'm going five in midfield. I went, well, Bill, if you're going five in midfield, surely that'll suit me to sit in the middle and I'll protect the two centre-backs and I'll start things off. I went, uh, just give me just give me tomorrow and if I don't do it, leave me out after that. That was me meeting in his office, like. And uh, I ended up playing. Uh, we didn't play well. I think we lost, I don't know, 1-0 or 2-0. <laughs> so anyway, I know things aren't going the best. And I come home Saturday, and as we did, go out Saturday night, get scalloped, and um, go out Sunday, obviously, come in Monday, and I know what's going to happen. And I'm, I don't even remember, Trev, I was sitting in my corner, and they'd called a meeting. <laughs> and I'm just sitting in my corner, and I'm, I'm all over the gaff, to be honest with you. And uh, Billy and Harry have walked in. As soon as he walked in, Harry's looked over and gone, look at the state of you. And that was it. I went, ah, oh, fuck off. He's gone, you've been drunk all weekend, haven't you? I went, no, I haven't. I was drunk Saturday. I said, on Sunday, I only had 10 points. <laughs> and Phil's gone, 10 points? 10 points? I couldn't drink 10 points in a week. <laughs> I think that's the story you mean, isn't it? That's the one you mean. Yeah, I, I, I remember looking at you thinking... As I remember, it was like how many sort of they were like how many you had. And I can remember he's going through your brain thinking, "How many should I say?" I, I, how many I should I say? Yeah. I've got to, I've got to be realistic, but I can't go over the top. I can't say about twenty points. It's like I'll go with ten. <laughs> it's it's like when the doctor asks you how much you drink a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How many drinks you have? A week? I mean, I have to mention Billy because I love Billy, and I, I did some stuff. 
uh, a while ago on West Ham and looking at win percentages. And it's quite interesting in West Ham because I think they've only had like, I can't remember, 10 managers since 1900. And I've seen I've seen that, Trev. He's, he's up there with everybody, isn't he? He's the top. He's got the top win percentage of any West Ham managers ever. And uh, David Moyes has got the lowest win percentage. But, uh, Wait, West Ham West yeah. have only had 10 managers since 1900? Maybe 13. In the first 60 years, they had four I managers. Yeah. Yeah. And then Ron Greenwood, it was like crazy. And, and all, all were English managers as well, I think. That's crazy. Lou, but, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But what I was going to say was, I mean, Bill, he was so basic. It was like, you know, when we got them um, them tennis shoes when we arrived, we had to jog in tennis shoes, them uh, Dunlop, green flats. Dunlop green flats. Dunlop, yeah. But my favourite, I got two stories of Bill. One of them is that... Um, I remember that um, when uh, you mentioned Charlie on the car park, and Charlie uh, was an that old guy. That wasn't Frank McAvenny, by the way. Charlie what? on the car park. <laughs> he was Charlie was an old guy, brilliant guy, great character. He said he fought in the war, or whatever. But he was he was in charge of the car park at the training ground as well. And we had this guy come in, and he had this van, and it was called Bubbles, and he used to wash the cars. And I always remember this, and you know, you take I don't know, five pounds, ten pounds to wash the cars, wash the players' cars, and everything was great. And then this one particular day, Charlie said to this guy, "You bet, can you wash the, the manager's car?" I don't remember. Bill got a big blue blue BMW. Didn't like. And, um, he didn't like all that flash stuff. Didn't like. So um, Charlie said, "You better wash the manager's car." Went, Why? Because you're getting all this business here, the manager. So. So um, he washed Billy's car, it was pristine, and the story is, Charlie said that when Bill came out and saw his car was so clean, he was so angry, and he made Charlie get a sponge and some dirty water and go over the car to make it dirty. Really? Oh, yeah. That's weird. Uh, another, one, another one was when we, we used to meet at Wickham sometimes, we used to pick up uh, Harry at Wickham, and... Uh, Harry's got on the bus and he sat with Bill and uh, and the bus gone away after about ten minutes and and uh, Harry's gone oh shit he went I forgot to put the ticket on the windscreen and Bill's going what do you mean Harry what do you mean Harry <laughs> he went it's paying display you get a ticket he said what well, Harry said just tell him you you put the ticket on the windscreen he said yeah he said just tell him it blew away. <laughs> <laughs> And Harry was like, no, you put it on the inside of the windscreen, Bill. <laughs> well, as, as much as we love Bill. The aircon the air was on full blast. Yeah. <laughs> that That's quality. Yeah.